Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. The state of North Carolina is fortunate to be home to thousands of exceptional public school teachers. In fact, North Carolina leads the nation in the percentage of nationally board certified teachers, the gold standard for professional excellence in teaching. This week on the show, you're going to meet three rock star teachers. Now, there's no doubt they'll protest that description that I use, but first we have the 2019 North Carolina Teacher of the Year, Mariah Morris from Moore County, and then we're going to discuss developing teacher leaders with 2018 North Carolina Teacher of the Year, Freebird McKinney, and the 2018 Western Region Teacher of the Year, Julie Page Pittman. Now, before I move to our headlines, if you're a regular viewer, you probably noticed that the set looks a little bit different. We're actually now recording this show in a new virtual reality set. It's basically a green screen studio where we can use computer-generated imagery for all the background. Now, we still have a real table and chair over here, but what I'm excited about is trying out some new elements as we get comfortable in this technology, so we hope you like it. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Now that the House and Senate have passed their own versions of the state budget, House Speaker Tim Moore and Senate Leader Phil Berger have named members to a budget conference committee to hammer out a final budget. Now, there are some key differences, including higher proposed teacher raises and restoration of master's degree pay that's only in the House budget. Now, one item that's in the House budget that was left out of the Senate version is a creation of what's a virtual pre-K program using a platform called Upstart. Now, this is championed by Representative Craig Horn. The proposal has been panned by early education advocates and child development experts. Now, they believe that online virtual pre-K cannot replace the social and emotional learning and interactions with other children and caring adults that takes place in high-quality pre-kindergarten classrooms. The number of charter schools in North Carolina has now eclipsed 200 after the state approved 10 new ones last week. That number has actually doubled since 2011 when the General Assembly lifted the cap. Now, critics say the rapid growth of charters has exacerbated resegregation and siphoned money from district public schools. Now, most of these new taxpayer-funded charter schools are actually now run by for-profit charter chains like Team CFA, Doral, and Charter Schools USA. One-fifth of North Carolina's charter schools are now operated by for-profit companies, 80% of them headquartered out of state. Now, remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we have three amazing teachers joining us today, and the first mm -hmm. guest is the new 2019 North Carolina Burroughs Welcome Fund Teacher of the Year, Mariah Morris. Mariah, welcome to Education Matters. Thank you. So excited to have you here. Um, I should also point out that uh, Mariah is the first Moore County Schools teacher in the 40-year history of Teachers of the Year to win the awards. Uh, so uh, congratulations to you and, you and to Moore County. So you're a second grade teacher? I am. In Pinehurst? I am. Um, how long have you been teaching? This is my 10th year. I just finished up. Okay. Now, I, yeah, when I talk to teachers, particularly when we bring in someone like our Teacher of the Year, I'm, I'm just kind of curious about kind of you know, like your journey in, in teaching and education. I mean, 
when did you decide to become a teacher? Were you, uh, you know, do you have the, uh, you know, the stuffed animals and were, were being a teacher when you were a little girl? A little bit, yeah. I decided I really wanted to be a teacher when I was in high school. So I had the privilege of growing up in a very diverse school in a very diverse neighborhood. And I'm from a very working class family that very much straddled the line between um, the different types of families in Durham. I grew up in urban Durham um, alongside people from all walks of life. And in that position, I was able to see the power of education in the lives of myself and my peers. Right. Uh, my parents pushed us no matter what to pursue an education. And that was a gift that nobody could take away from my brother or I. But I also saw peers in my neighborhood and friends at school who were born into cycles of poverty that made it very difficult to pursue education and to break that chain of poverty in their own life. And so I went into education as a call to social justice. Okay. And I went into education because I wanted to show students from all backgrounds that they can be in the driver's seat of their life and that they can write their own personal stories through education. Well, what's interesting, you said you, you, you were really noticing those differences. Um, um, I, I can't say that I was as, as, as cognizant of it. You know, I grew up in Fayetteville and, and, and very much a, a working class blue collar family yeah. too. Um, that I knew, I don't know, maybe we were all kind of in the same boat. You know, yep. it was a lot of sort of a mill village kind of thing. Um, but particularly now as I've gotten older and I had uh, you know, a child of my own in schools, you really do see a difference mm -hmm. between kids who are coming in, let's say, ready to learn and, and maybe they've already been in a more formal preschool. Is that something, I guess, both as a uh, early career teacher and now, do you really see big sort of start gaps between sort of where children are when they first enter school? I most definitely do, and that's actually why I'm in second grade. I started as a high school English teacher, and I taught for five years at the high school level, and I thought that was what I wanted to do in education. And I realized that by the time students got to me, they were already on a track in life, and it was so hard to break that path by the time they got into their junior or senior year of high school. And so I decided I wanted to go to the younger grades. So I taught kindergarten and fifth grade ESL to kind of get my feet wet. And I realized by fifth grade those decisions were already beginning right. to form. Right. And so I realized that the change I wanted to make in a student's life, it was really K-2 education. And now in second grade I'm starting to see it's even earlier than that. Yeah, it is really. It's, my sister's a kindergarten teacher now. She's taught kindergarten in third grade. Um, and yeah, you see that's, I, you know, now North Carolina from a policy perspective, we talk a lot about K-3 and being ready to begin sort of like the re, you know, grade level reading. And you're right, it's, it's kind of hard, to, it's kind of depressing in mm -hmm. some ways to think that kids could already be so far behind by third grade, but it really is, I guess, your experience that that's true. That is right. And something that I work with my students and my families on understanding is that they're not necessarily behind because what is the measure? We have to understand okay. that tests are very much created by human beings and so they're not perfect and if we look at how a child develops throughout their whole life beginning at birth there's a difference and there's variation and there's a scale and so students come into school without the same opportunities and are told that they're behind that's a really great automatically point. Now, the, the kids are they're, they're where they're they're, they're, where, they're where they are supposed and where they're to supposed be, to be because they're children and that's right. what I tell them and that's why I tell the parents they're not supposed to be a certain spot because they're that. seven and eight right. and they're supposed to be different and that's what makes us all special unique people and so I work with my students on building 
their self-confidence to understand that just because a certain test tells them that they're not as good as someone else, that's not true. That that test was made by a human being who can make mistakes. All right, All right let's talk a little bit about, about getting into teaching. You were a North Carolina teaching fellow. I was. Um, at UNC Chapel Hill, yeah. that's where I went uh, as well. Now, there's a new version of that program that's come back, um, different from the one that mm -hmm. you went through, but how important was, I guess, how important was that program to you, and how important do you think programs like that are to encourage uh, young people to go into teaching? Um, that program was very important to me. That program really made me the teacher I am today. I devoted my college career to the Teaching Fellows program. I took on leadership programs at Teaching Fellows. The director was one of my personal mentors, and I loved that program. We looked at all sorts of different issues in education. We had an annual conference, Let's Talk Race Conference, where we looked at racial inequalities in education, and that really set the stage for what type of teacher I wanted to be and understanding education from a broader perspective. Right. Um, you also talked about, I was there when you um, were um, you were announced, it was very, it's, it's always an exciting time, but you mentioned also talking about um, science and math and STEM education. Mm -hmm. That's something that you're passionate about, incorporating that early on in school. Why? Because the more I teach and the older I get and as we continue on in our society into the 21st century, I realize that the language our students speak is the language of STEM. They are going to need to be proficient and knowledgeable in science, in technology, in engineering, and in math in order to be global citizens after they graduate. Because they're going to be competing with students from all over the world with these skills. It used to be um, skills like literacy or traditional social studies. And those skills are still very much important. But if we want our students throughout North Carolina to be leaders in the global playing field after graduation, they have to have a solid STEM foundation in order to do so. Right. Um, you talked about social justice and, and poverty and the underserved. I mean, and you've written about it and you, you've spoken about it. Sort of what, um, I guess, what is your perspective on what else we need to be doing? I mean, there's only so many hours in the school day as a state, um, as a community, as a nation, do you have some thoughts on sort of where children are today and, and things we should be doing differently? I do. I think that it is very important to consider the whole child in education and to understand the diverse needs of diverse learners. I think that we need to address issues such as hunger in the schools. We need to address mental health issues, special education issues. We need to understand that each child brings unique strengths, but also weaknesses to the table. And some of those weaknesses are systematic because of systems of poverty at play in our society. And because they're systematic, we know how to address them. We know that a child is not going to perform at high rates if he or she is hungry. We know that a child is not going to be able to become the student he or she can be if he or she has mental health issues that are preventing learning. And these are big issues that span many, many students in many situations. And so I believe that we need more mental health professionals. I believe we need more nurses. I believe we need stronger programs for students such as English language learners or special education or students with autism to understand how to help these students be the best students they can be. Great. Well, I think I think your teachers, your students, 
are lucky to have you, and, and the North Carolina is, is, is fortunate to have teachers like you coming along. So we're looking forward to, to watching you over the next year as you, you become a sort of a spokesman for teachers across thank the state. You. So, Mariah, thank you so much for coming thank to Education Matters. Very nice it. to meet you, and congratulations thank again. Thank you. All right, when we come back, um, we're going to be joined by two more rock star teachers, including last year's North Carolina Teacher of the Year. But before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. According to a new report from the Public School Forum of North Carolina, what percentage of North Carolina school districts have lower average teacher salaries than the repo reported state average teacher salary of $53,975? Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Did you correctly answer D, 80%? Even though the reported average teacher salary is $53,975, in reality, 80% of North Carolina school districts have a lower average salary. In fact, the gap between the wealthiest counties and the higher supplemental counties is about $10,000 less per year. Now, joining us now are two great North Carolina teachers who are here to talk about developing teacher leaders Julie Page Pittman making her first appearance on Education Matters. Julie is the was a 2018 Western Region Teacher of the Year. She's an English teacher in Rutherford County Schools. Uh, has been there since 2003, I believe. Yes. And Freebird McKinney making his return to Education Matters. You're, you know, you're like old news now. You're, not, you're the 2018 <laughs> North Carolina Teacher of the Year. That's right. Uh, so Mariah's taken your, you know, has taken the mantle year, but you are a social studies teacher, high school in Alamance Burlington Schools. Mm -hmm. So welcome, both of you, to Education Thank Matters. You. All right, so we're going to talk about a new effort. You and Julie have been working, because I've been talking to you about it for some time, for the past year on a new effort to really engage teachers in a new sort of leadership program really targeting to sort of you know help get our students um, ready you talk you, you gave me some background on it. it's called ed lead nc mm -hmm. so I, I mean julie i'm gonna start with you first sort of what um sort of what was the impetus behind creating this we're going to talk more about the program but just tell me a little bit about sort of why uh, that you and uh, freebird sort of working on this well, I think when um, we first started uh, our friendship together, when we were both uh, in the Regional Teacher of the Year program right. about a year ago, we were talking about really some gaps in education and um, gaps for teachers uh, in professional development. And Freebird had been a, a participant in a teacher leadership academy in Alamance Burlington school system with Impact Alamance and their teacher leadership academy. And when he spoke to me about it, I was really intrigued and thought, I really think that I could do this in Rutherford County. Um, there are some gaps, I think, all across the state in terms of professional development and teacher engagement, teacher excitement, student achievement, preparing for the workforce. Um, and, and so looking at those things and trying to decide how I could make an impact in my own district really excited me and so we began to plan and um, I met with my superintendent Dr. Janet Mason and got her approval and then she and I really developed out a program for our year and selected some teachers and have just 
finished out our yeah, first so you, year with so it. So you've been piloting this in, in Rutherford County, yeah. and I think the goal is that, is that, that you and Freeburg want to actually see, see this expand mm -hmm. and, and, and start doing a program like this in uh, other districts across North mm -hmm. Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. yep. Yes, sir. All right, now Freeburg, let me ask, it says educator, when our educator culture transformation, and you're talking about issues, I mean, these are things that we talk about on the show, and I certainly care about personally, equity, global education, mm -hmm. sort of a global mm -hmm. awareness, civic engagement, workforce development. Now, they're all great things, but I think, I don't know, maybe people might be watching, uh, well, aren't the, isn't the most important thing that teachers need to do is to know the content that they're teaching? Or social, isn't that what they should be focused on? How do these things, I guess, how do these fit in to what a teacher's role should be? Yeah, and so I think what this program did for me personally is is while we focus, we have professional development that's geared towards you know content, geared towards classroom management. But what's really missing is there are opportunity gaps in our profession to see ourselves as a conduit. So transcending the walls of our classrooms and even our schools, and really getting out in experiential opportunities and building those connections with our businesses, with our chambers of commerce, with our local government. And for a teacher, many times, you know, that is. Th our time is geared towards preparing for our kids. It's mm -hmm. building lesson plans. It's grading. Uh, and so we felt like this program, what it did is it gave intentional days to where our superintendent approved it and was always there, Dr. Bill Harrison, uh, in, in the early stages of this. Um, and it made us feel this this uh, this understanding that we are professional really helped, I think, with recruitment and retention. And then these pathways that we're looking at, these are closing opportunity gaps for our educators so that then we can work with that whole child while we're in the classroom. So like you said, equity, um, you know, how do we really assess the needs and serve the needs of our students? And so these opportunities for us to go out in our community and see the organizations that are doing this. To doing this. Um, we work on a day of juvenile justice. Then we work on workforce development. So what are the industries and businesses that are out there that can provide internships? And then global educational opportunities for both our teachers and then how do they then kind of use those opportunities and experiences in the classroom? Right. Well, Julie, I mean, I, like I've heard, like I, sometimes you'll hear folks who may say something like, well, the focus should be on the, 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 the children and the students in the classroom, not the, you know, not the adults in the building. Jeez, I've, I've kind of heard that. that but, but I mean, isn't they aren't they're they're really you can't separate that. They're I hand mean, in hand. you've got to have good, high quality, motivated teachers who want to stay in their profession, mm -hmm. um, but who can also bring in the sort of relevant, um, real world uh, experience for their students, right? Absolutely, and I think what this allows us to do is capitalize on the opportunities that are in our own community to lock arms with organizations and people who really want to help our students and help our teachers become better and more engaged in the community in which they live and want to stay there and, and continue to provide opportunities for others once they get out of the classroom. And it also allows teachers to understand that their classroom really isn't just those four walls. Mm. And they might not know without something like this what opportunities lie beyond the school building. This allows them to be able to see that, to make connections, to network with people in the community who are really invested in our students and our future workforce, and, and really just make our whole community better. Right. Well, do, do teachers have time? First, I mean, I mean, uh, teachers I know, I mean, we're, they're living on caffeine and Red Bull. I mean, you know, there's yeah. a lot of hours, but I mean, is, are there, is there time to do this? Are there some changes that the state or individual districts need to do to allow time for teachers to, 
to do this. And, and I think that's the intentionality of the educator culture transformation. We talk about the professionalization of education, particularly of, of anybody who's working with our students, our educators as a whole. And, and this program builds out intentional days, so between six and ten days depending on, on, on what the district's mm -hmm. looking at, and allows for those teachers to experience these opportunities out in the community uh, so that they can spend a day with other fellow educators in their districts, talk about some of the issues and some of the barriers they're facing, but then collectively over lunch or over bus rides, wherever we're going, to talk about the solutions because this whole program is about building solutions to overcome many of the barriers that we see in public education today. Is your is your only are you only focused on current teachers or are you starting? To, are you? I mean, I know this is early. You know, this is early days. Mm -hmm. This is a one-year pilot in. But are you thinking about how do you back this up into educator preparation programs too? Because some of the things you're talking about would make sense to me if you're like you know when you you guys went through uh, your you know your uh, college of education that mm -hmm. some of this would be part of the curriculum. Absolutely, and we've been able to. Um, partner with and have conversations with multiple institutes of higher education, specifically with educator preparation programs that um, that are not only giving us ideas for how we can uh, build in that preparation for future teachers, but how they can then give back to teachers who are already veterans and in the classroom. Mm -hmm. In our district, we were able to partner with a local uh, UNC system school, go and tour that school. They helped us with grant writing, with understanding what uh, educator preparation looks like now, because those teachers have been out of the out of the, their own classroom and in their 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 workforce classroom for several years now. So what does it look like? How can they give back? And what's the cyclical nature of education? So what is uh, what is the role of the community in all of this? I mean, what to, I mean, I'm sure there are people watching the show, business leaders watching it. What 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 is the best role for them if they want to help with a school? Well, and I think uh, particularly with the two districts that we've worked in, in Alamance and in, in Rutherford, um, that the community is where everything, so mm -hmm. our students are growing up, they're going to be future citizens, they're going to be, you know, or they are current voters. citizens, yeah, they're going to be future voters, they're going to be spending money at the businesses, they're going to be buying cars, they're going to be buying homes, they're going to be, you know, involved in, in civic organizations. So we feel like, why well, don't provide these opportunities now for our educators so that then they can go back, share out with our students. And what we've also done is slowly started to develop student leadership academies that mirror the teacher leadership academies in both of our districts to now provide those opportunities to our students. Well, and I think we're, we're out of time, but I, think, I mean, what's really cool to me is, I mean, I think that one of the things we want to be able to do here in North Carolina is if people want to stay stay in their hometown and, and mm -hmm. that's where they want to make their lives work, they should be able to do that. Now, not everyone wants to do that, but I like that you're looking at making real meaningful connections between mm -hmm. students, teachers, and the community. So great work. We'll put some information on our website so if people want to reach out to you too and also just learn more about the program. But we appreciate you being here. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break and after that, this week's final word. I mentioned a report earlier from the public school forum on teacher pay. It shows what teachers make in each district, not just the statewide average. Now, given the known inequities in school funding across the state, particularly between rural counties and large urban areas, it shouldn't have been a surprise that that pattern holds in teacher pay too. 
But the starkness did surprise me, actually. 80% of the districts have average teacher pay less than the state average, and the gap between the average pay for teachers in the highest and lowest wealth districts is more than $10,000 a year. Now, you may ask, how is that possible? It mostly comes down to local supplemental pay on top of the state-funded salary. Districts use it to recruit and retain teachers. The problem is most counties can't afford what, say, a Wake County or Mecklenburg County pays. So you end up with teachers in Vance County, 40 miles away from Raleigh, making $8,000 less. Districts lose teachers to counties with higher pay, and then Wake and Mecklenburg schools end up asking for more and more money from local taxpayers. Now, neither is ideal, particularly when the Constitution says it's the state's responsibility. Average teacher pay has risen in recent years. That's a good thing, but inequity matters too, and we no longer have an excuse to turn a blind eye to it. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.